Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you once more. KJ, it is good to see you twice in less than 24 hours, I might point out. The only thing that would have been better than last night the way it was is if it had been the Doobie Brothers. What do you think? KJ is still doing the white man overbite. This was unscripted and it is sure to turn off the younger demographic of our show if there's any left at this point. (laughs) But unplanned and unbeknownst to either of us, Keith and I were both at the uh, Temptations and Four Tops concert last night. My girl. Oh, good Lord. I didn't want to start with singing. But anyway, just to clarify, we were there with our spouses. Yep. uh, But ran into each other. Good time. Good time indeed. And Keith, maybe someday, not that we're going to go long down this road, but the original member of the Temptations is still in the group. And I can't say I grew up on them. I don't know his name. Apologies. I, I grew up on them and don't know his name. They were the Temptations. He did point out that he's been doing this for 59 years. And it occurred to me, what will this show sound like 59 years from now? And will I still be giving you a hard time about Twitter? Because I'll be very out of touch at that point as well <laughs> to whatever well, the kids of today are working to with. To be mathematically correct, we're probably, we talked about this last night as well. We're uh, probably a quarter century into doing something like exactly. this. Exactly. So maybe we only have, you know, 34 more years to do to get to 2059 or whatever the mathematics are. Right. We'll see so how let's see. I would be 94. Oh, it'll I'm be sure, some scintillating radio. I'm sure there'll be some depends and some... You think Other things involved. You think it's scintillating right now? Just wait for thirty-four years. Hopefully, folks, you, uh, you'll you'll still tune us in at that point. Uh, we're one week from signing day. Not that we're going to talk uh, too much about that, but that is of of note and huge uh, huge weekend from a recruiting standpoint. Of anybody that follows that, and even those of us that don't, we're exposed enough to know that a number of kids in and a number of commitments for whatever they're worth, and a number of we don't know yet, and a number of uh, we'll tell you in. Uh, National Signing Day number two comes around. On the and we'll talk to our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld a little bit about that. He can't talk specifics in terms of names, but he can paint some broad strokes on what he expects Taggart and company to do come signing day next week. On the basketball court, the men looked much better again. Looked really good against really Miami good. last two games, last game and a half because they were losing to Clemson, and then I don't know if it was midpoint of that second half. All of a sudden, they started stroking it from outside and. 
uh, have looked good. And if they, if they can play somewhat like that, and I say somewhat because they're not going to shoot 50% on threes and MJ's not going to go six of seven, if he could go three of seven every game and Terrence Mann can hit two threes, you're going to take it. I think we've come to understand that, that there are three players in particular in Kofor, Mann, and, and uh, Forrest that have – we'll just call them tissue injuries, uh, things where sometimes they feel good and sometimes they don't feel so good. And to the degree they can gut it through when they don't feel good, this is a good team. To the degree that they feel good and, and their injuries are not hampering them as badly as they sometimes do, this can be a great team. And then you throw in MJ and some others hitting threes the way they did, um, it could be a remarkable team if they got hot at the right time. So we'll just we'll just play it by ear. It makes you so somewhat disappointed and questioning that you revolve back to a couple of weeks and say, you know, if Kofer doesn't fumble that ball out of bounds against Duke and Duke doesn't get a chance for that last shot, and what was the carryover effect to Boston College and Pittsburgh, where might this team be? And that's how close they are to being that good, I think. Yeah, they're not far off when all their parts are there. But unfortunately, their parts haven't been there. I wish they were one game better than what they are right now, i.e. four and three instead of three and four. The scenario you're painting would have them five and two, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, Most importantly, we need a good crowd again for a noon start on Saturday. Get it loud. uh, Be proud. And uh, make sure that Florida State defends the home court and does get back to four and four. And another reason for our fans to show up is it's uh, basketball reunion weekend. And uh, I'm told, no guarantees, you don't know until they're actually there, but I'm told that Dave Cowens is registered and will be there. Uh, uh, Ron King out of Louisville, who was on the 72 team, will be there. I'm pretty confident Hugh Durham, former player and former head coach at Florida State, will be there, along with others. And uh, I never – we were talking about this. Deckerhoff and I were talking about this on the way home from uh, Miami. You know, if you weren't there, it doesn't make sense to you, but they had a free throw shooting contest. I don't know who it was, but it was somebody in Cowens. And Cowens is 107 years old in basketball years. And he was shooting three throws, and he was draining every one of them. There was as many as you could make in 30 seconds. And on the last one, Tommy, he turned around with his back to the basket and with one hand threw the ball over his head backwards and swished. This was two years ago. Unbelievable. And it was the pit game, and I've shared this story before, so I'll give the abbreviated version. Uh, my family went to the reunion afterwards that day, and at the time, my son would have been six. So here's Dave Cowens. Nolan, take a picture with Dave Cowens. Who's this old man? You know, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> Nolan, that's Charlie Ward. Take a picture with him. Who's Charlie Ward? Nolan. Uh, so, okay, so we finished there. He's not interested in that. I, f- I forgot this part of the story. We go out to eat. Uh, on the parkway and lo and behold we're sitting there and who shows up malik malik beasley who was his favorite <laughs> player of the team and he and malik took a picture with him and so that made his day malik by the way is playing better in the league right now very much so um and nolan i have properly informed him uh he knows who charlie ward is now dave cowens maybe not as much uh, he knows who Dion is and looking forward to the 30 for 30 tomorrow as am i i've got a good story to share about Dion that we'll get to uh later in the show coach sue semrau is going to join us as well all she did was graduate all five senior starters from last year and way her, to go sue and her team is 17 and three so i'm not really sure <laughs> where how you make that happen rebuild versus reload or reload versus rebuild it has been an impressive uh first 20 games to the season now they have to play the top dogs in the league still, which will be a challenge, and there's a big challenge tomorrow night against Miami. She's going to join us momentarily. I will remind you, as always, that uh, if you're looking for some place to enjoy the uh, Super Bowl, 20 bucks. That's coming up? 
all you can eat wings from four to ten at Madison Social. How much? Twenty bucks. How much? Twenty bucks. No. What's the other part? All you can eat. There wings. you go. All you can eat. There wings. you go. Dine in only. I should point out, so you can't show up and open the trunk of your car. You got to stay there. And eat I don't it. have a problem with that. Anyway, um, do I get a bone bowl? I I don't know. You can you can talk to Matt and figure that out. But that's uh, Sunday at Madison Social. They've also always got something going on. We appreciate their support. We'll step aside. Come back. Just getting cranked up. Just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles and time to crank up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to a longtime friend of the program and just friend in general, and that is Coach Sue Semrau. Coach, uh, always good to chat with you. How are you? I'm great. Better to chat with you guys. Well, well, thank you. We appreciate it. Checks in the mail. For you that. know I don't have any eligibility <laughs> left, right? I cannot help you one bit on the court. Well, hey, that's why you guys are doing what you do, and ex- you're amazing at it. It's not just eligibility, it's ability. That's, Thank you that, very that's much. That's the other part of the equation. <laughs> so, so, Coach, uh, you know, I know you know this, and, and, and fans that follow your program closely are well aware, but, I mean, you lost not just five seniors, but they were your five starters from a year ago. <laughs> You've got, I, I think it's maybe the seventh or eighth youngest team in the country. You're starting three juniors and two freshmen, but none of them had been starters for you before this year. And you're 17-3. and three. Those are numbers that just don't equate. So to what do you attribute <laughs> that kind of success given the youth on, on your squad? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I just have such an amazing uh, group of young women this year who are hungry, who have all bought in, who want to be successful and, and know that adversity is uh, is a tough thing and it's a really tough conference. And, you know, I, I, they've amazed me. Uh, you know, and again, we've been talking about the future and, and they just say the future's now. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to, to watch them and their drive. Well, and when when you go, you go big here because you didn't just turn over your starting lineup. I mean, two new assistant coaches, a new recruiting director, a new video coordinator, a new director of player development. So, I, I mean, I say that facetiously, but at the same time, that means that not only were you changing the players on the court, but you really had to get used to each other in terms of how everybody works behind the scenes, which could yeah. slow things down or certainly change the dynamic. Well, we were very intentional about making sure that we were on the same page and they understood the culture here at Florida State even before the players uh, arrived here on campus. We spent uh, an inordinate amount of time making sure that we were all rowing in the same direction. And they've, they've been fantastic. You know, again, I think, you know, they're just, they're watching. What's the next move? What do I need to do next? And uh, so it's been been a really smooth transition, a uh, lot of work, but we uh, that's what we do here at Florida State. You know, we, we work and, you know, we've got people that can lead in every area. And, uh, you know, so far we've, we've been able to see some success early. And, you know, it's something that we want to continue to try to grow. 
Coach, you mentioned the success. Your prior comment, you mentioned, uh, you know, getting over adversity. You had two of your youngsters go down in preseason. Uh, you lose, uh, and I'm, if I'm pronouncing this correct, incorrectly, correct, but a Mayo Brown to a knee injury. You're doing this shorthanded with young kids. Yeah, you know that 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 last injury, the the ACL with the Maya at the last game was um, was pretty tough to to swallow because you know we were already down to, to nine healthy players and now we're down to eight. Um, you know, and but this team has seen it and they've seen uh, what we've been able to do in the face of adversity. And we'll see again. I think it's in the long run uh, for all of us. For the ones that have been injured, for the ones that haven't, it's uh, it's something that will will really build our toughness, and that could really bode well for us in the future. Just hope that right now that we're able to to overcome those things. She was doing a great job for us as a freshman, and uh, now some other people have to step up. Sue, in the big picture stuff, when you first got to Florida State, my my timing not might not be exactly right, but you know the Tennessee program was was looked at. And then in, in the latter half of your career, of course, everybody's focused on UConn. But the last year, couple years, there seems to be a little bit of a shift. And, and candidly, it's been a shift to the ACC with what Notre Dame's doing, what you've been able to accomplish, other teams. Uh, just talk about what the national perspective might be of, of how the ACC is on the women's side of the equation. Well, it's, it's pretty uh, – it's so strong. You know, the the – the top teams right now, you know, you've got the Notre Dames and the Louisvilles are in the top four in the country. And so, you know, to look at that's what our conference is uh, competing with every day. And, and we've had extremely strong talent top to bottom. Uh, you know, you have to put us as the best conference in the country. And that's really a great thing for us to be playing in. And knowing that, you know, we have a chance to be that here in the next couple of years. Uh, is really exciting, uh, you know, at Florida State, where, you know, when the, when I came, it's like, okay, it's a football school. And I think it's been fun to watch it continue to be a football school and now grow to uh, a basketball school, a soccer school, a softball school, uh, you know, comprehensive excellence across the board. It really is, and I feel like beach volleyball is going to be right there in yes. the Final Four again, the way they yes. they play every year. Um I want to go back to to the uh, the ACL, not so much with a, with Amaya, but but in general, kind of a two part question because one of the other players you lost, and I, I haven't seen her play yet, but I think she's a, a you know a, a top shelf point guard and Isabella Nicoletti. But but my broader question, and I haven't seen the science on this lately, but are women are, are female athletes still more susceptible to ACL injuries, or has that changed at all? Because that's what Nicoletti's out with as well, if I'm if I'm not Absolutely. mistaken. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's you're 100 percent right, and and you know we're the we're the uh, gender that gets to have babies, and so we're we're built differently in our hip structure, and so you know, there's a, there's a, an angle that is uh, prevalent in women that's not in men. And so that angle with different pressure or it puts a different type of leverage on that uh, anterior cruciate ligament. And so we are more susceptible uh, and we know that. And it's, uh, it's always a risk, but you push your body on that and Hopefully it doesn't happen, um, but it's something that you really can't prevent. You can try to strengthen in a lot of ways, but all of ours have occurred with freshmen, and so they haven't had that same kind of training uh, that 
maybe we have, you know, through the years here. And so we're hoping that we're doing the right type of training. Uh, we just hope that they don't come in, you know, susceptible. But obviously with the two that, that we've had this year, they, they were susceptible. And and not to belabor the point, but for our listeners maybe that that aren't as familiar with the with the women's game, most of those injuries are also non-contact I mean, they're, absolutely, they're, they're and that's just, what happened with the Maya. Exactly, they're they're hitting wrong or landing wrong, and and it's really unfortunate from it from really that is. perspective. They, they they say that there's a notch that that ligament goes through, and in women, it's smaller than in men. So now, you if it catches wrong, then it's more susceptible to tear. And even you know, without that impact, uh, that can happen. And so, uh, you know, it, it's not a lot you can do about it. But the science and the research is. Um, hopefully moving us forward as to how do we can prevent these types of things but right now there is no way one more off-court question then we'll get to some of your stars and focus on tomorrow's game but uh, this one was not an acl uh but but eo lopez uh is very fortunate i guess at this point that basketball is still in her future Uh, I'll, i'll let you fill in the blanks but she was involved in an accident while she was on her scooter just prior to the season uh and i think broke several vertebrae among other things yeah, it was uh, really unfortunate. You know, in Europe, uh, there are a lot of uh, scooters that, you know, mostly people, that's how they travel, whether walking or on scooters. And so it's very normal for a European to come here and want to have a scooter. A lot of people do. Uh, and it's really interesting to me that under 150 cc's on any type of motor vehicle, you don't have to wear a helmet. And she wouldn't have had to wear a helmet by law. She was wearing a helmet, and thank God she was because uh, there was a U-turn. She was hit head-on, uh, flew off the bike, broke her femur and uh, vertebrae, like you mentioned, um, you know, in her spine. And so she was in the hospital for several weeks, uh, healing and and going through. And now she's around. She's walking around, but uh, you know, again, out for the season and just riding home from class. And uh, she just wasn't seen. So. You know, it, it is a tough thing. And for a coach, you know, you go, well, why don't you outlaw those scooters? Well, if their mom rides a scooter, you know, at home, then how can I say, you know, I, you can't have this. You can't have this form of transportation. I know you can't afford a car, but you can't have this. Or, you know, just all types of different things that are part of people's culture and society that, uh, you know, you, you hope never pre- presents a problem like this. But unfortunately, uh, you know, and, and she was hurt, but fortunately she's alive and has the possibility to play basketball again. Yeah, and, and so already that's a happy ending right there, and we wish her continued success on the comeback trail. Coach, on the court, uh, Kaya Gillespie transferred in a year ago, and you've had a lot of success with players transferring in. She had to sit out last year, was a McDonald's All-American, I think, at, at Maryland her freshman year, but she's in the top five in the ACC in scoring and rebounding, the only player, I believe, in the top four or five in both those uh, categories. So uh, tell us a little bit about Kaya, who has been the star for your team this year. She's special. Uh, you know, she came in and she's uh, one of the most mature kids that I've ever coached. She came in and said, you know, it was a great, op- it was a great situation for me at Maryland only because I really learned what it takes. And I came and I played on the offensive end and I gave up more points on the defensive end than I than I even gave us on the offensive end. And to, for a kid to say that and to own that and say that that experience at Maryland really changed things for her, uh, that that's what you love to start with. And so she's somebody that is extremely bought in. She loves being here. She loves her teammates. And, and she can score the basketball. She can rebound the basketball. And she loves the game. And, 
we're really fortunate to have her. Coach, she's a McDonald's All-American. We mentioned Isabella, who's a McDonald's All-American. You've got another one on your roster, I believe, and two more in your signing class, if my math is right. So you're, <laughs> you're going to have five next year. Uh, so congratulations uh, on that front. And, and I don't know if that means that a McDonald's deal is coming to the Tucker Center soon. Or, or, <laughs> the, or, the McDonald's Center? Yeah, the McDonald's Center, exactly. But, uh, you know, Big Macs or, or what have you. But uh, not that I need that. But congratulations on that. But to what do you attribute the, the continued success on the recruiting front with what you and your staff have been able to do? Well, I always tell our recruits, first and foremost, it doesn't matter one bit to me whether you're a McDonald's All-American. Uh, yeah, you know, that's somebody's opinion, and you know it's not a be-all, end-all. It's something that you. Uh, it, it's a really cool honor, and it's a great experience to be able to play in that game. But more so, it's who you are, and and the character that you bring, the work ethic that you bring, the passion that you bring, and that's what I'm most proud about with our McDonald's All-Americans. It's not about what they c- can do on the court, but it's who they are that will then improve what they can do on the court and in life. And I think, you know, the, just the school, the Florida state, uh, the comprehensive excellence, uh, not only athletically, but academically and the way that president Thrasher continues to move us into the top 25 public institutions in the country, all of those things, uh, the improvements that have happened to the Tucker center, what's happening with, um, just keeping at the forefront is, is vital. And I think people want to, A, be a part of a, a program uh, and a school that is progressive and moving forward. But then I also think it's extremely important to people. And I've been able to surround myself with phenomenal coaches, support staff, players, uh, and then the, the people at Florida State. And, and it's just it is what it is. It sells itself in a lot of ways, and we've just got to be careful to bring in the right pieces uh, so that continues. We're, of course, talking with uh, head coach of the women's program in basketball at Florida State, Sue Simmerall, and uh, coach, a big game and a rivalry game tomorrow night in the tuck. Uh, your women are going to have to be ready. This is a formidable opponent. Yeah, it sure is. You know, they ranked early on, uh, and they're just they're six and one in the ACC, and the only loss was when their leading scorer and rebounder was out. Um, and so, you know, they they're big. They've got six four, six three in the front line, and then they're they're fast and stuff with um with recruit with all of their guards and all of those types of things. So, you know, it's a it's going to be very formidable, and and I'm excited about it. We love the challenge. We love the test. And um, and we're looking forward to, to tomorrow night. It is a huge rivalry game, and we know how the Knowles uh, feel about uh, when we compete about we compete against Miami. So we hope we have a full house. It's hilarious, not hilarious. It's funny to me that the the men's program in Miami is so shorthanded, and now the the women's program at Florida State is so shorthanded. And you're I know you're I, playing within I five days of each other. The same though, we don't need that. Yeah. Well, and we won't get into this right now, but just when you look at Sue and Leonard, Sue, you you typically operate with less, uh, not you know, not as few as eight, yeah. but I mean, normally you've got ten or eleven, and Leonard goes the other way with, with got eight seventeen shuffles. or eighteen. So seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, it's two I different it. philosophies. Well, I'm I'm leaning in his direction now with the way things are going. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to have a roster. We have fifteen scholarships, so they're thirteen, and we may have fifteen players. The way things are going, I. I want to make sure that uh, that we are we are stocked and ready. 
Coach, uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Congrats on the, the success, and uh, best of luck tomorrow night. Uh, beat those canes for us. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Coach Sue. Coach Sue Samrao. Uh, a shout-out to Coach Sue as well. Uh, Little-known fact, Keith, I don't know if you run into this, but but people sometimes are surprised we have day jobs. We don't just we don't just survive on one hour a week here on Front Row Knowles, right? Uh, so my main role at the university, uh, well, I just transitioned, but I was campaign manager on the university's fundraising campaign, and Sue was one of the co-hosts of our, our campaign finale, and she was a rock star. Her and Mark Ziegler, who's a teaching professor, widely popular professor in uh, CCI at FSU. So anyway, tip of the cap there. She is uh, a bundle of energy. And normally, normally you find people that have that type of outward personality. They're they're not necessarily an X and O's uh, just, uh, tactician type, but but she can get down and get very technical in the game uh, as well as having that exuberant personality. And and I think one of the best things she's done, Leonard does this well as well, um, is she surrounds herself with good coaches. You talk about she left, you know, two two coaches leave, videographer, and she surrounds herself. She can identify and motivate and encourage and bring great people together to help her. She knows it's not just her show, and I think that's an unbelievable talent in addition to the coaching acumen. We didn't talk about it this time around, but she was uh, a very big disciple, if you will, of uh, John Wooden and spent some time with him when he was still alive. She grew up on the West Coast, and so uh, I'm sure she's probably looking into some of his philosophies about how best to operate when you only have eight players <laughs> who are healthy to figure out how to get through the rest of the season. Okay, we'll step aside, come back to get to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who this week, he's a big-timer. He's been at the Super Bowl Media Day. He and a cast of thousands. I'm sure he'll share the details when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we did not consult our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, about the uh, walk-up music this time around. Tim, any idea why we might have chosen that tune? Uh, because I am a rolling stone. No, but I Because like you're that. a papa. I like that you knew where <laughs> we were headed with that, with the Temptations. No, this is a sure... See, we have you on because it... it uh, it diversifies the demographic that might listen to Keith and I. Just, you know, in the name of transparency here, Tim. Not by much. Well, not by much. But, but enough. But enough, you know. <laughs> I know. We, we need to get a recent grad on the show. as Well, that's why we have Matthews here behind the glass. You know, he keeps us in tune. No, it was uh, it was unscripted, but Keith and I both showed up at the Temptations concert last night at uh, at Ruby Diamond uh, with our brides, and lo and behold, we had a front row Knowles show breakout in uh, in Westcott. So, oh, nice. Was that was that cool? I mean, I, I kind of forgotten about that. It was it, it was amazing. Yeah, it was good. Really? So here's the we talked about this at the top. So and again for Temptations fanatics, apologies. I don't know the gentleman's name. The one original Temptation. Uh, he he said on stage last night, "I've been doing this 59 years." And I was just, I mean, what do you think the math is on 59 years worth of however many shows The Temptations have done for that? I mean, yeah, you're in, into 
four digits at least, right? I mean, thousands. I mean, you're you and the Globetrotters are at the front of the line for <laughs> most cities and countries visit. No, it was it was a good time. And by the way, the four tops were there as well. It just wasn't just the Temptations. Yeah, and their original member is older, born in 1935. So do the math there and still go. But he hurt his hip and he wasn't afraid to stay on stage. Hey, I hurt my hip recently, so I'm going to sit down. He had a stool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of of, uh, of big timers, you apparently were with all the big timers. Maybe you were a big timer yourself because you were at Super Bowl Media Day the other night, I do believe. So uh, that's correct. explain what that fracas, I don't know what the word is, was like. And who'd you talk to? It, uh, it really is uh, a, a bit of a circus, and uh, I don't just say that because there was a, uh, I mean, I guess he was a reporter, he was, certainly was credentialed, a, a man uh, dressed as a clown in full clown regale. Mike Bianchi was there? <laughs> no, well, I mean, it could have been, but he, uh, he, he, was, he was so dressed up, I don't know that anybody would, uh, would recognize him. He could just be walking among us uh, right now. There was them, there was a, a mariachi band kind of deal going around. Um the uh, the the Nickelodeon TV show. Anybody my age, uh, we might remember. Um, uh, uh, what would you do or Double Dare or whatever? Uh, that guy was running around like. Is that the like show with the green like, goo? Shoot! Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't any any goo, but they were like having like players like shoot baskets from the. Po- I don't know. It was it was pretty bizarre. All right, uh, but who'd you talk to? Who'd you talk to? Cool. Who'd you talk uh, to? Uh, I'm getting there, man. I went uh, went up and talked to uh, the, the the big draw. Of course, uh, was Lamarcus Joyner. Uh, uh, is uh, a key member of the, uh, I almost called him St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, uh, trying to get to the Super Bowl. So we uh, are basically in the Super Bowl, trying to win the Super Bowl. And uh, so we went up and, and chatted with him about that. And then uh, while we were there, uh, also uh, ran into and, and chatted a little bit with uh, Bjorn Werner, the uh, defensive end from earlier this decade, who uh, is doing some pretty interesting things as well. So really good to, uh, to catch up with some of those guys. And, uh, and, and, you know, two players who I think were, were both really uh, popular among the uh, the fan base and, and uh, and you know, kind of guys that uh, that sort of found their way into uh, FSU fans' hearts, but that you haven't heard very much uh, from since uh, since they left school uh, after their respective years. And, you know, Marcus being over there on the West Coast, and then Bjorn, uh, you know, he like he spent a lot of time between here and uh, in Germany. So uh, it was pretty cool to catch up with those guys. And obviously, we'll have uh, more details on all that on uh, on Seminoles dot com uh, a little later this week. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty neat. How tall is Lamarcus Joyner? Remind me. Uh, I think he's like five nine, five ten, somewhere. Yeah, that that's range. what I'm gonna say. So, I remember, and we know signing day is coming up next week, and you know, you you always know when the year starts. This guy had X amount of stars or was highly touted, and Lamarcus was a five star out of St. Thomas, so it figured that he would be good. Who commuted like eighty miles every day? Yeah, because he lived in Miami, went up to Fort whatever. But I th- I want to say, God, it could have been this. Was his his first game would have been Jimbo's first game in 2010 mm-hmm. against Stanford. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I think it was that game. I'm standing on the sideline and, and and he's getting mop up duty and somebody runs an out or whatever and he hits this guy right on the sideline. I mean, and it was the kind that you hear like 40 yards away. And I turned like, who was that? And it was Joiner. And I thought, okay, maybe the hype's real on this guy. I mean, he brought it. And so yeah, I can I can do you one better. Um, the uh, the following year, I think it was the all leading into the 2011 season, they were practicing inside the stadium, and um, you know the, the media. Was, the practice was almost over, and the media was kind of gathered in the tunnel, waiting for Jimbo to finish up. He would he would talk after practice, and uh, they, I guess they were probably doing goal line or, or you know red zone, whatever they were doing at the end there. And uh, all of a sudden, you're, you're standing around, and you're shooting the breeze, and you hear just this this 
stud that I mean uh, to call it a stud wouldn't do it justice. It's you know more like I sound like a shotgun blast. And I mean, the truth it was it was probably a helmet to helmet collision. And all of a sudden, here Jimbo just go you know nuclear the way that he would. Uh, and then about twenty or thirty seconds, uh, Lamarcus Joyner uh, trots past everybody in the media. He having uh, having just been thrown out of practice for being uh, a little too physical out there <laughs> on the uh, the practice field. So it wasn't too hard to uh, to piece together what happened. But that's just uh, the kind of guy that he was. Uh, last thing on Lamarcus, and I'll let Keith jump into the conversation. The if everybody FSU fans remember this. And it's on YouTube. Just Lamarcus Joyner hustle or play or something like that. Uh, the whoever he was, I don't know if it was Nevada. Whoever it was, where he's they're at like their ten yard line, you know, ninety yards from the end zone. Whoever the opponent was, he goes in and he misses the uh, a sack attempt, gets knocked down. I, I think the running back runs with it anyway. Gets up now. The running back's like at midfield, still trying to be tackled. And he gets blocked and knocked down again. And then he gets up, and now it's like at the opposite 20, and he makes the tackle, and it's an all-time hustle play that should be trotted out for everybody that wears garnet and gold. It's, a, it's an all-timer. You're talking about in the, in the Idaho game? Is that who it was? I said Nevada. Yeah. Was it Idaho? Yeah. I think it was. I think it was. Well, let's, it, was, it was somewhere out west. I mean, I get partial credit for that. Let's contrast yeah, exactly. that with one of my most spectacular plays. 1979, we're playing South Carolina. They had one running back named George Rogers. First play of the second half, Capice kicks the ball out of the end zone, first and 10 on the 20. They throw a, a sweep to the right. I go running up there. I've hit George about 12 times in the first half, and I've tackled him twice. This time I take a bad angle, and I miss him. So I turn around, and now I'm chasing George Rogers down the sidelines. Was the number getting smaller? The number was getting smaller <laughs> and smaller. I dove at the 50-yard line, hoping I would clip his heel and then watch the number get smaller and smaller <laughs> as he scored. Now there's the difference between Keith Jones' career and LaMarcus Joyner's career. But Today, as I, as I recall, the Knowles had a pretty good record in 1975. We did, but that play was not reflective of it. Fortunately, Keith, YouTube was not around or camera phones in 1979, so you're not a meme at this point. Exactly. Uh, so signing day, Tim, I know you can't uh, talk specifics, but but what are we expecting? Are we going to have something out of the ordinary? Uh, you know, is everybody that's committed going to stay? Or are we going to end up signing 10 instead of 5? Or what? Do you, how do you think this is going to play out? Well, I mean, that's kind of kind of my uh, my expectation, again, with the, uh, the, you know, as you said, the caveat that and we can't dive uh, too far into the uh, to the recruiting stuff, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like the news, you know, has been pretty good. You know, you've seen some guys that uh, that were highly touted or highly uh, sought after have kind of indicated that, uh, that that they intend to stick with Florida State and, and kind of shut it down. I guess is the uh, the, the terminology, and then uh, some other guys uh, that are you know really highly regarded at their position uh, have, have have been added in in the last few days. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it seems like you know things are kind of turning up and looking up and. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we'll, you know, continue that momentum over the the last week or so of of the uh, this this signing uh, I guess signing cycle. It just feels so weird now, doesn't it? Uh, to me, at least, with the uh, the early signing period followed by the, the the traditional national signing day. It's you know even in the second year, but at least for me, it's kind of hard to uh, get like a, a really real feel for it and in, in, in where things stand. Is that just me, or do y'all feel that way too? No, I think, uh, and I've talked about this. You and I've talked about this. I, yeah. I w- was part of the group that felt like when this early signing period came about, you know, if you were going to sign 20, you'd get five in the early signing period and 15 in the, the normal February period. And it's gone the And opposite. it's gone the exact opposite. I did not see that coming. 
I, I still don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I haven't, you know, we, ha- we don't have a big enough body of work, but it's certainly different than many expected. There's no question. And it, it does, in some regards, make the February signing period a little anticlimactic. I think the one thing, and again, you can't talk specifics until they actually uh, ink, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how, because uh, there's a couple of three kids that are allegedly committed, will come in as junior college transfers and or graduate transfers a couple in particular that the media have talked about on the offensive line and i'm interested in tim to, to see how they come in and fit in um given the fact that you know the age-old thing about signing transfers or graduate transfers you know there was a reason they didn't go somewhere or come here in the first place and of course walter jones is the is the icon of of a of transfer that comes in is just off the charts, but there's a lot that are bust, and it's going to be interesting to see how these kids measure up once their careers get started and, and get, they get into it. I agree with you, um, but but I do think, yeah, I mean, you know, I think back on you know eight, ten, twelve years ago, and and you know, you got a a transfer offensive lineman, particularly um, you know back then, uh, and particularly from junior college, you know, it was uh, I keep generously call it pretty hit or miss. Um, but at the same time, I think it's become so common now. Uh, you know, the transfers are are so much more prevalent. Certainly, you know, the quarterbacks get all the uh, the attention, but it, I mean, you know, players across all positions are transferring uh, with so much regularity. And I think that uh, you know, when when you increase the number of transfers, you're at least hopefully uh, increasing you know your odds or at least the total amount of, of players that that come in and, and have success and and do well. So uh, you know, maybe that helps. Uh, and then also, I mean. The fact of the matter is, you at least at least at some positions of Florida State, and I think it's fair to say this about the offensive line. I mean, you're still just laying a foundation um, with uh, with that position. Group. Yeah, one one class is not going to make that group no exponentially but, but it, better. But no, I, and I agree. But if it, it, it can take a big step in the right direction, right. I think you know for that group, um, just getting some bodies and getting some options and creating some you know really creating some competition uh, is a really good thing. I mean, you know. One of the problems that Florida State had there last year, and and, and I get it was more than just this, but I mean there wasn't any depth, and so the, you ran out of options. You know, you kept on having to kind of do the same thing, or you know, mix and match guys, or you know, move this guy to the left and that guy to the right, or whatever, and see what stuck. But by and large, you didn't really have uh, a lot of options in terms of personnel, uh, and so now you know maybe you do, maybe uh, you know some of these guys, particularly some of the you know transfers or whatever, can come in and. Um, you know, maybe their experience transfers or, or translates well, um, and if nothing else, you know, creates some uh, some tension and some competition in that room. And, and you know, I think you know, as football coaches are, are believers that you know, competition is what helps guys get better and, and creates that atmosphere. Uh, and so, to me, that's a good thing. And then just you know, having having guys to work with, have, you know, having a guy that maybe you know merges in the spring or in the fall or whatever. Uh, the more of them you get, uh, I think the more uh, the more likely you are to have that happen. And I think that was a, you know, kind of an underappreciated aspect of last year's. And they just, they didn't have bodies. And when they did, you know, they, they weren't healthy or they weren't, uh, you know, they, they were you know, banged up, whatever the case may be. Guys had to play out of position, that sort of thing. And so, you know, hopefully just adding some depth and then kind of laying that foundation will, uh, will, will lead to some positive things as they continue to build. Particularly with the grad transfers, if you have scholarships to give, it, it you know it, there's really no risk involved. I mean, because you take somebody, and if they're not any good a year from now, you still have their scholarship to offer to somebody else. Uh, now, if you you know if you're at the max or you're deliberating between two or three guys 
Well, you want to get it right anyway, but but go ahead, jump in, KJ. No, I'm just going to change gears real quick. Uh, you know, uh, one of the a group of athletes at Florida State that don't create a lot of spectators uh, is the is the track and field group. And um, recent press release comes out: men are uh, number two in the nation, women check in at number seven. We don't hear a lot about these guys and these gals, but uh, quite a bit going on, particularly as it gets ready for the indoor season. Uh, Tim, with the with the track and field folks. No, yeah, they've uh, they've been off to a really hot start. Just came out a couple minutes ago uh, that uh, the two guys are Marty Wallace and Trey Cunningham, both are in ACC Performer of the Week honors. And you know, to me, what's what's cool about that is just, I mean, when you think, you know, it's been, um, you know, I, I don't know if tumultuous is the word, but uh, but at the, at the track and field program in the last few years, I mean, you had some changeover on the staff and and kind of had to to rebuild and keep with the theme, relay the foundation, and and anytime you have to do that, um, particularly. Um, with your sprints and, and, and those types of guys, um, you know, there's a question of, I mean, certainly it can happen. You've done it before, but uh, you, you have to go back and go out and do it again. And uh, and they've been able to, uh, to put that together and, and put it, you know, uh, I think kind of re, uh, reascend to the standard that the, that, that program has become accustomed to. Um, and uh, it took a little while to, to get back there, but, you know, quite frankly, probably not as long uh, as you might have thought. Um, you know, I think I don't know if they say they're, they're ahead of schedule, but they certainly are. You know, right back among the uh, the nation's elite, and uh, and certainly going to compete for for championships. I'm sure both on the indoor and outdoor circuit. And uh, you know, it's kind of cool to see you know a program that was um, you know one of the best in the country, and then kind of have to rebuild it. And I think I think, but you know, Bob Brayman has been there for a very long time. Deserves a lot of credit for uh, for making that happen. Speaking of track, this is this is a stretch as a segue, but Deion Sanders, there was a time or two where he participated in track for fsu there happens to be a, a little tv show tomorrow night that's going to involve Dion. tim Dion's double play on uh, espen a 30 for 30 they probably don't like it if i call it espen on espn right the tv the mothership yeah uh so what's your favorite Dion story oh gosh um i don't know that i have a favorite Dion story you know Dion was just a little bit before my time at least in terms of his uh his college career i definitely obviously i remember him um, as a pro, but uh, but in college, I, I wasn't uh, super cognizant uh, of his career. But uh, I don't know. What do you, do you guys have any figures already? I'd be curious to hear them. Well, I so I shared something. And it's going to be. Uh, I think Jim Henry's going to do something with this in the in the Democrat. Uh, and apologies for not sending it to you, but part of the story is that Dion was not great in this situation, so you wouldn't have put it anyway on Seminoles dot com. Tim, just being frank. <laughs> so now here's the story. Uh, in 1988 which was Dion's senior year. Uh, I don't remember the game or the specifics, but a story came out in the and so in context. Dion had played for the Yankees that summer, maybe two summers, so he had money from baseball, and he was driving around in a con- convertible was Chrysler it a- Cadoba or something, and with a with a Florida State tag that said with the Dion, rich that said mother. Dion on it. I mean, it was pretty obvious. You know, Dion was imagine this; he was not low profile. <laughs> that, that was my freshman year at FSU. So, a story shows up in the paper that somebody has stolen Dion's personalized license plate and this goes on uh and again this is not in the twitter verse this is where you have to wait till the next day and you get an update that dion's tag is still missing you know so anyway it comes out later that week whoever had uh and and the person that took it now was sending ransom notes uh you know cut out literally letters cut out of a magazine uh and ultimately at the end of the week a trade is uh procured the the uh 
the plate gets returned in exchange for a jersey or a helmet or tickets. I don't even I don't recall what. But so fast forward now to, to Christmas of that year, and I'm talking to this this friend of mine. He was he was sort of like a brother to me. Uh, he didn't have a dad. He and his mom would spend every Christmas with the Block family growing up. He had come to FSU. We were the same year, um, but you know, so we were we were like relatives but we weren't necessarily hanging out in the same crowd anyway he tells the story he's the one who stole the plate so oh this <laughs> this is so and he's got the picture to prove it so and so anyway the story is dion uh was hanging out at the house next door to his or his girlfriends and he kept parking on the grass and they had asked him not to do it and he kept doing it so one day he took his tag anyway okay. i think jim henry might have the blog and more details in the picture on that in in uh, thursday's democrat but but okay, so that's a personal anecdote. The thing that I recall about Dion, not a specific story. We've all seen his highlights and his big plays, but it's easy to lose sight if you weren't watching them as they happened. That he always delivered in the biggest moment. So he holds out with the Falcons and then signs late, barely practices in his first game. He returns a punt for a touchdown. You know he plays Bo Jackson and then he hits an inside the park home run in the game against Bo Jackson. He says it's going back against Clemson, and he take like he always delivered at. I guess that's why you call it prime time. He would say, but it was true. I mean, if 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 it was the moment, he makes the interception to seal the Sugar Bowl against Auburn. That was just what he did. Keith's Keith's looking dumbfounded, but I mean, so I there is no there is no way to properly explain that, Tim. I mean, yeah, what no, he did I, was off the charts for the time. Yeah. Well, I, and then and then when I think you know you also think of you know, significant players from the dynasty era. And obviously he, he kind of hearkened that in, but I mean, you could argue that, um, I mean, you, like most people talk about like the Mount Rushmore and like anybody who, you know, in my opinion, anybody who, who should be taken seriously when talking about the Mount Rushmore for state football, uh, Deion Sanders included, but I mean, you can make a case of, you know, I mean, he's one of the most important, like important and significant players, uh, in the history of the program. Uh, I know folks say, uh, Ron Simmons as well. And I'm, I'm certainly willing to, to hear that, but in, you know, and, I don't know if there's been a more important player into the history of Florida State football and the trajectory of the program uh, than Deion Sanders was when he got here and did what he did. Well, how about we use and, Coach, and how about we use Coach Jim Gladden's phrase? Well, I don't I don't know if he's number one, but I know he's in the class, and it don't take long to call roll. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good way to put it. I like that. I, I, I was just going to say, in terms of putting Florida State on the map, uh, honestly. For good and for bad. I mean, because from a recruits that wanted to come and be the next Dion, I mean, it led to Buckley, which led to Clifton Abraham and Corey Sawyer and, and you know, and, and the next and all those guys. Uh, but then there's the off the field stuff, which probably uh, has added to Florida State's image nationally, if you will. I mean, they passed a rule, the Dion rule, that requires student athletes to take their final exams to be eligible for a bowl game because, you know, he had his famous quote that senior year. Uh, when it, people found out he wasn't going to class, he said, if you had a winning lottery ticket, would you go to work tomorrow? I got a winning lottery ticket. I mean, that's literally what he said, and he had a point. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. At least he didn't say he didn't shoot the president. Or no. was that him? No, that was Peter Ward. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> which that's another story. Anyway, we'll let you get going, Tim, but I, I am looking forward to that show. I hate that the, tomorrow night they're going to focus that show on Dion and Tim McCarver. And there's a lot more out there with Dion. I'd just like to see the highlights because he was so tremendous. I realize that he's not necessarily how you would want your kids to behave uh, in some aspects, but he was a phenomenal athlete. No, he was uh, something else. I you know I, I agree completely. I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Um, 
you know, it's uh, and it was funny. I was talking about this with uh, somebody. Like, do you even imagine like that happening today? Like, it just wouldn't even. There's no chance that uh, that I mean that, that will ever be done ever again, right? Uh, well, the Oklahoma quarterback's going to give it a go, right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, no, the, I mean, I well, mean, the I question mean, becomes: the question is not can it be attempted again. The, what if, to interpret Tim's question? Will anybody ever pull it off again? Yeah, yeah. Like to actually, and I mean specifically uh, with the World Series and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, I mean, the odds of it happening and the odds of uh, you know teams being okay with it, um, I think, are pretty slim. Well, like, I, I think you're right. It's easy to say you are at this at this stage of the game, but I don't know. Uh, you know, when it, when it actually comes time to uh, to make it happen, I think that you know coaches and general managers might, uh, might get a little shy about it. Dion was in line to be World Series MVP if the Braves won that year. I mean, he hit like four seventeen in the series or something. Uh, I mean, it, and that was his hobby. His, you know, or whatever he said. One was his girlfriend and one was his wife. I forget what his line was. Uh, just anything that sounds outlandish, just say it and attribute it to Dion, and there's a pretty good chance he might have said it. Tim, we'll talk you to you next week. It out. Yeah, exactly. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. I feel like we could just continue to go down the Dion. Anybody uh, that has seen the Seminole rap knows that Dion could have been a, 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 a musical person well, as I well. That, I don't know that he would have been nearly – he would not have been a Hall of Famer on the musical no, no, side. No, but, no, but he did record whatever, whatever rap song he had later in the day with his, with his gold chains hanging around and all that. Ugh. All right, we'll step aside um, and, and come back with more, I guess. Does that sound like a plan? We, we have time left, yes. Okay, we'll do that after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith. Uh, we'll share some more Dion tales here shortly. Uh, it occurs to me, we started the show talking about the temptations. Sorry, we're dating ourselves again. And then we talked about Dion. Dion probably owns that red suit that the Temptations were wearing last <laughs> night. Am I right? I bet hey, the Temptations probably saw Dion in his red suit yeah. and designed one to look like him. Now, the Dion was a cornerback, but the uh, the antithesis of Dion, who was uh, sort of all hype, tremendous athlete, but wasn't exactly a glue guy that was going to get in there and, and lower the the pads and make the tackle. Now I would disagree oh, with you're, you. You're going to hurt my segue he now. Would, he would tackle. You're killing my segue. He would hit you in, in college. He, yeah, he didn't hit very many people in, in the NFL, but he would make a tackle in college. What I was going to suggest is that Cornerstone Tool and Fastener is your glue guy. They're going to make sure that uh, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. because they got those impact nail guns. That's the way Dion was. He would just impact you. Dion was something. We'll, we'll get to more stories. Uh, you should get over to uh, Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Are you going to do this talk over me the whole segment thing again? Tell Ron we said hello. Ron, apologies that Keith is he's hyper right now. It was a big show last night. Anyway, uh, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, also uh, 3269 Crawfordville Highway, Cornerstone Tool and Faster. You may talk now, Keith. Male listeners, do not buy your wife's Valentine present at Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Female listeners... 
your husband would love a Valentine's gift from Cornerstone to him faster. I do okay. It's pretty accurate, actually, because you cannot win if the if even if you're planning to say uh, renovate your laundry room, whatever the home project is, if you carve it into Valentine's birthday or Christmas, it's going to cost you more to get out of said carving. True story, <laughs> absolute true story. I have a first cousin from Wildwood that bought for his tenth wedding anniversary, bought his wife. A brand new hunting rifle. And that's wrong on two fronts. And if I have to explain them to you, <laughs> moving along. Isn't everybody a first cousin in Wildwood? Hush. All right. Dion stories. <laughs> Matthew even liked that one. Um, so let's just think about his senior year. And again, I know we're the old guys, but there's plenty of listeners who remember these days. So Dion. Uh, basically invented this primetime persona to make him larger than life, to monetize it, which he did to his credit. So you can hate it and not like what he was, but he was smart enough to figure it out. He had the turnover chain before Miami had the turnover chain. You are, you are right about that. So, And he was famous for outlandish quotes. And I remember, I'm not going to remember the quotes, but I remember he was asked about it at one point. And what would happen, he would say something crazy on Monday. Uh, and about whoever they're playing. And then he wouldn't say anything the rest of the week, and he was asked about it, and he said, uh, well, they spend all week worrying about my quote, and I spend all week working hard to try and back it up or something to that effect. So he would open his mouth on Monday. And then, you know, I mean, 88, Andre Risen came in here. He had the pick. He showed up for the Florida game, his last game. Dion showed up in a tux and a limo. He rented a limo and drove to the stadium in a tux. I mean, wearing a tux. Rode in the stadium. Yeah. And he didn't drive the limo. Rode into the stadium, whatever it is, and, and then left in the in the limo. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm trying to think what else happened that year. The biggest um, disparity, the biggest end of the spectrum, the biggest. He picked off Brett Favre and took him to the end zone that year. For first game I ever did for then Sunshine Network, now Sun Sports. But the the. The biggest disconnect that that you can't explain other than you can explain it is the fact that one of the most disciplined, hard-nosed, toughest, get-in-your-face segment and coach and defensive coordinator ever known in the college football game, the initial first inaugural recipient of the Bryles Award as the most outstanding assistant coach at the NCAA level, one Mickey Andrews was Dion's coach. And the the widespread discrepancy between their two mentalities is explained really simply and is uh, is candidly the greatest tribute to Dion his work ethic. Yeah, he was loud. Yeah, he was proud. Yeah, he did some things. But there's not a single person that played with Dion that won't tell you he was the hardest working football player on that football field the entire time he was playing. He did not take practice off. He did not take plays off. He was the first one there. He was the last one to leave. And that's why, with very little of any exceptions, his teammates loved him despite all the off-field stuff. And his segment coach... Mickey Andrews tolerated it, despite all of the offense, off the field stuff. Hey, I'm going to finish up, uh, think, digest in '88 a little bit more. So, 
the year began with the Seminole Wrap, which quickly got erased from airplay, 31 nothing. Miami. Give you 31 reasons why it got. The next game was his pick six against Brett Favre. The game after that, I believe, was the punt Ruski game where he called a shot and took the punt back. And by the way, that means that the punt Ruski doesn't exist if Dion doesn't, if Diaz, Dion doesn't return the punt. The start. Michigan State played in with, uh, and Harlan Barnett might, might have been on the team uh, at that point. But anyway, he picks off a, you know, a throw into the end zone to Ryzen. Uh, the Florida game we talked about. He ends his career with the interception against Auburn in the Sugar Bowl. But here's the way that year really began. And I remember this because it's when I first arrived in Tallahassee. Dion had to get eligible for his senior year. And what was in question was whether or not he had passed algebra. And it was such a big deal that the 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 exam was not graded at Florida State. It was actually sent to the University of Florida. It was a correspondence course, I believe. Whatever it was, it was not graded here so as to eliminate any suggestion or suspicion or what have you. And I, I remember the headline in the Democrat because I had it taped to my, you know, sports wall, if you will. And it was size large font. Dion passes algebra. And thus began his senior year, and that, and and that's at the time the Seminole rap was playing, and and all that unfolded. Anyway, I don't think that will make the cut tomorrow night on the on the uh, Dion's double play on ESPN. I hope they have some high school footage of him playing basketball, though, because he was every bit as good a basketball player as he was football and baseball, without question, without question. All right, you'd think that we know Dion and care about him. He was just a tremendous athlete, and so it'll be fun to to look back on that. Uh, that's all I got. I have more career interceptions than he does. What's the total? I don't know, but I got more. Don't look it up. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. How many pick sixes do you have? I have the same number you have. Okay. Career punt return yards compared to Dion. I hate you. <laughs> you are a mean man. Bearing in mind, I have zero. So I know you are somewhere between me and Dion. You are a mean, mean man. I want my mommy. Folks, enjoy the uh, the Dion show tomorrow night. Uh, turn out at the Tuck uh, tomorrow night for Coach Sue and the ladies. Coach yes, Sue absolutely. and the ladies, and and also uh, for the men's game against Georgia Tech. We'll talk to you next week on signing day. So long until then.